One of the biggest debates in the Sabbath-keeping community is whether the day begins at sunrise or at sunset. Today we're going to see what the Bible really has to say on this hotly contested issue. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is the Dance of Life podcast, and I am Tudor Alexander. Thanks so much for being with me today as we continue our Sabbath series. Boy, are we going to get into it today because this is a very controversial topic. Unfortunately, it is a very controversial topic because it shouldn't be, but nonetheless it is, and that is whether the day begins at sunrise or at sunset. Especially in the Sabbath-keeping community, people who advocate for keeping the Sabbath, there's a lot of misinformation in this particular topic. There's also a lot, a lot of information, misinformation on the lunar Sabbath, which is going to be something we'll talk about next, uh, not in this episode, but next week. But stay tuned for that. So these two topics, especially this one with the sunrise and sunset, are very, very hotly contested. So today we are going to really set this straight. I hope that I will do a good job for you. And ultimately, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me personally. And while you're at it, subscribe on my website. That is the best way to stay in touch with me. It's a free subscription. If you want all the extra perks, you can pay five bucks a month or 50 bucks a year. It goes a long way to help me because I don't do sponsorships. I don't do ads. I don't do, you know, gimmicky products or anything like that. So ultimately, subscribe on my website because that's the best way to stay in touch. I never trust these platforms and you can watch ad free. So that's also a big perk. But a little review today, we are continuing our Sabbath series, so if you have not seen the previous episodes, I highly recommend that you do. We looked at the Sabbath through history in the sense that the Sabbath was not just created at Sinai, it was a moral institution of God from the very first week of creation. Right after creating the world, God instituted the Sabbath, and we saw by looking at people like Noah, like Job, like Abraham all these various patriarchs, that the Sabbath was expected and practiced before Sinai. There's a lot of evidence in that episode, so go check it out. We looked at why the Sabbath matters. That was the first episode. And there are many end times importance, I should say, many important things that having to do with the end times that relate to the Sabbath and Sabbath keeping. And if you don't believe me, you think that's crazy talk, you think it's superstition, I really indulge you to watch that episode to understand what the connection is because it's it's a very serious connection. And later in this series, we're going to look at the history of Sunday laws, of Sabbath persecution by the Antichrist power, which of course is the Catholic system. And that system is coming back to power because that's what God has decreed and the Bible tells you it's going to come back to power. So you have to put one and one together and look at the history, look at what the Bible tells you, and realize that this is not a fairy tale. It's not a superstition. It is based on much, much evidence. It's based on historical precedents. And ultimately, it's based on the Word of God, which is the most important. But we looked at that. We also looked at why Christians should celebrate the Sabbath. That was last week. Very important episode because I address a lot of objections like Hebrews 10, Colossians 2, uh, Romans 14, where it seems that Paul is writing about 
oh, we don't have to celebrate the Sabbath anymore. It was a shadow of the things, you know, to come. And so a lot of people cite those passages and verses in those passages to say, see, the New Testament, you know, did away with the Sabbath. You're Judaizing. You're a legalist, et cetera, et cetera. So go watch that episode to see that that's not what people are actually saying it is, because those verses aren't talking about the Sabbath. That's number one. And how can we observe the Sabbath? How can we look at the Sabbath without being legalists? Of course, I'm not advocating advocating observing the Sabbath to be saved. Absolutely not. We're saved by grace through faith. And that is a work of God. But that doesn't mean that the Ten Commandments go away. <clears throat> this is where a lot of people, unfortunately, stumble today. They think that the Ten Commandments, like, disappeared. Well, if you don't think that's the case, which you shouldn't as a Christian, you, you think that stealing is still wrong, you think that killing and lying and cheating are still wrong, well, then part of those Ten Commandments is actually celebrating the Sabbath and spending time with God on the seventh day. That's a moral good that was created for man. So why is there that disconnect? And we explore that in the last episode. So go check out those previous episodes because they will really help to build on everything we're talking about today. Now, today we have a lot to talk about, so probably it's going to be a little bit of a longer episode. So make sure you use the timestamps at the bottom if you need to watch it in parts. But it will be very edifying for you, very educating, because this is a probably, I think, within the Sabbath-keeping community, or just the Sabbath discussion, I think this is probably the most hotly contested issue. It's up there. Maybe the lunar Sabbath is up there too, but the, the day beginning at sunrise or sunset, there's a lot of people that believe that the day begins at sunset. And so we're going to explore that today and see what the Bible actually has to say without bias. I promise you, I am not biased in the sense that I, I'm biased for the truth. Everybody has a bias, but the question is, is your bias for the, for the truth or for comfort? I do my best to bias for the truth. I want to see the evidence. I want to see what does the, the actual evidence tell me? What does the Bible say? Because it's very easy to take things out of context and create a whole theology around them. In fact, just, week, I re, just last week, I released a whole very deep study on transubstantiation. Somebody had asked me to do that, and I've been wanting to do it for a while. And boy, you should see the comments on that one. You should see the comments on that one. It is just crazy. I mean, look. If you care for what God said and you care for what the truth is, then you then you have to abandon this teaching. You really do. But anyway, that's another can of worms. The whole point is, do you, do you prefer truth or comfort in your own journey? And if you prefer truth, then I invite you today to learn the truth. Now, why does this matter? <clears throat> why does this matter? Well, it's not just splitting hairs. We want to know, <clears throat> first and foremost, when does the actual Sabbath begin? If we agree, if you agree with me on the first three episodes of this series, why the Sabbath matters, should the Christians celebrate the Sabbath, you see that the Sabbath's been celebrated throughout history by all the people who are faithful to God. Okay, I want to celebrate the Sabbath. All right, well, this series will empower you to do that, especially at the end. We'll talk about how to do that without being, you know, legalist or without, you know, saying it's over with. Walking the narrow road. But let's say you, you agree and say, okay, we want to do that. Well, when does the Sabbath start? It's on the seventh day, but does the day begin at sunrise or sunset? I, and you need to know that, right? Because that determines when you start resting. And that's very, very important. We also want to know, because we want to align with what the 
Bible says, with what God said. If we're doing something, but we're not aligning with what God said, then that's also not good. Because the Sabbath has a particular prescription around it. It's the only commandment that's prescribing a time as to when you need to do it. So we want to align with the word of God because it's on the seventh day. Okay, great. Well, when does the day begin? See the importance? Very, very important. And we also do not want to align. In aligning with, in wanting to align with God's word, we also choose simultaneously not to align with people who deny God's word. For example, Talmudic Jews who believe that the day begins at sunset. And I will prove to you today that it doesn't. I really will. I hope that you will entertain me. The evidence is beyond a shadow of a doubt. It really is. But many Christians today are very deceived by this today, so it is what it is. Unfortunately, people just don't realize that the evening reckoning and sunset reckoning is not what the Bible teaches, but rather it is a Babylonian tradition. And I can prove it to you. I will prove it to you in very shortly with some very convincing historical evidence and very convincing biblical evidence. But again, will you entertain it? My goal today is to show you that the day, according to God, begins at sunrise, not at sunset. So let's jump into some very important history. Now, a little preface here. I do cover this in my documentary on why the Jews are not God's chosen people as to how this all ties in to, to the progression of the Sabbath. So it's very interesting. But a basic gist is this. During When Babylon judged Judah and Israel, and they destroyed the first temple that Solomon built, the Jews were taken away into captivity for 70 years, and they didn't have a temple to do sacrifices anymore, meaning the Levitical religion that God had set up through Moses was interrupted. And in this period of time of 70 years, is when you saw, and really it's actually more than that too, because it took a little while to, to build the temple afterward. But in this period of time where there was no temple, you saw a creation of the rabbinic Judaism system. Judaism actually began. The Jews like to say, that, oh, we're, we're with Abraham. You're not. Judaism actually began in Babylon because in Babylon, they didn't have the temple to do sacrifices anymore. And so they created this religion through the rabbis, through synagogues, through these traditions of how to be righteous. I mean, there was a need to reconcile with God, which is important. But without a temple, how are you going to reconcile with God? Well, what if we just do good things? And these things evolved over time because after after they rebuilt the second temple, um, you had basically these two parallel religions going on through time. You had the rabbinic system which was evolving. And again, by Jesus's day, it was very clear now. You had the system, you had the temple that was there and people were doing sacrifices, but you also had the Pharisees and Sadducees and all these clicky workspace righteousness people who had made all these extra traditions that Jesus was rebuking them for. Jesus was rebuking the religious authorities of his time. And another important point is that Jesus was crucified and delivered to be killed by the religious authorities of his time thinking that they're doing a service to God. Imagine now if you and I are being conformed to the image of Christ and the Bible tells you that at the end of time, a religious authority, i.e. the Catholic Church, will come back into power 
and deliver people to death who do not obey its traditions. You're being conformed to the image of Christ, and this is exactly what the end times warns you about, that the religious authorities will mandate a way of being. But that's another point. The point is that there were these two parallel systems. Once the second temple was destroyed in 70 AD, then Judaism basically formally established itself because the people who rejected Christ and all of the signs leading up to 70 AD basically got together and said, all right, what are we going to do now? The temple's done. How are we going to be right with God? Well, we can be right with God through good works and you know this and that and prayer and yada, yada, yada workspace righteousness. So ultimately, the, the, the rabbinic Judaism tradition is a splinter. It's a counterfeit, just like Catholicism is a counterfeit of Christianity. It's a counterfeit of the Levitical religion that was laid down through Moses, by God through Moses. And of course, with the temple being destroyed, that took over. But that started in Babylon. And so, if you look at Talmudic Jews today, who believe that the Sabbath begins at sunset, where do they get that tradition? The answer is they get it from Babylon. And like I said, I, I will prove it to you because there's a lot of evidence. But Ultimately, we want to look, we want to do a little survey of histories, of Israel's history in, in captivity and seeing what were the influences of Israel, all the way from Egypt and the Exodus to the Roman Empire, and see what did these pagan powers believe in in terms of reckoning? How do they reckon the day? Because this is a very telling piece of historical evidence. It's very interesting. So, without further ado, let's jump to the Egyptian calendar. This is Britannica. You can look all this stuff up. It's very, and again, I have a, um, a references sheet for this series that is attached to the Bible studies page on my website. Just look up the Sabbath and you can download all the references I use for this series like I do for every other uh, series. But this is the Encyclopedia Britannica, the Egyptian calendar. Now, let's read a little bit about the Egyptian calendar. Unlike most people who use the lunar calendar, the Egyptians began their day with sunrise instead of sunset because they began their month, consequently their day, by the disappearance of the old moon just before dawn. So the Egyptians, very important point, where the Israelites lived for a very long time before the Exodus, they reckoned their day from sunrise. Now, the question is, would the Israelites, having been there and basically basically been Egyptian slaves, would they have reckoned their day from sunset to sunset when they're being forced to reckon the day and forget everything else that they learned, maybe from Jacob and from their ancestors? But again, you'll see that Jacob and Abraham did not reckon the day from evening. But let's say the argument is that, well, you know, Jacob and whatever, and Abraham and, and Isaac all had their, their day from the evening. It was, that's the truth. Well, okay. But then they lived in Egypt for a very long time. So going into the Exodus, we should see, this is the important point here, we should see that the switch should go back to what it was. If, if the truth is that the day starts from the evening and the Israelites were forced to reckon from day to day, from sunrise to sunrise, because that's how the Egyptians reckoned it, then we should expect to see when we get to the Exodus, which we will, 
in a little bit, we'll get to the Exodus, we should expect to see that the time reckoning is from evening to evening, if that's the case. But as you'll see, it's not the case. Nevertheless, the Egyptians reckoned from day to day. So the Israelites would have never gotten the idea of reckoning from evening to evening. This is now Babylonian time reckoning. So this is very important to understand. This is a book by Sidney Smith. <clears throat> it's called Iraq. Um, actually, it's published by the Institute for the Study of Iraq, but it's called Babylonian Time Reckoning. And you can read this, but we're just going to read just a little bit off the top. Let me just click on it. Here we go. The, the Babylonian day began and ended with sunset, apparently the disappearance of the rim of the orb. So the very first sentence tells you exactly what this person is presenting, which is that the Babylonian day unlike the Egyptian day, began with sunset. They reckoned the day with sunset. This is Wikipedia, says the Babylonian calendar. <clears throat> the, civil luni, the civil lunisolar calendar had years consisting of 12 lunar months, each beginning with a new crescent moon was first sighted when a new crescent moon was first sighted low on the western horizon at sunset. So because they had things to do with the moon, and they were reckoning things that way. It was based on sunset. The day was reckoned at sunset for Babylon. During this period, the first day of each month, beginning at sunset, continued to be the day when a new crescent moon was first sighted. The calendar never used a specific number of days in any month. So they were very much oriented around the moon. Hint, hint, with the lunar Sabbath people, which we'll talk about next week. But <clears throat> they were very much about sunset reckoning. But now let's see. Okay, sorry, I had to borrow this book and that takes a little bit of time. This is on the Internet Archive. The book is called The Exact Sciences of Antiquity by a man named Otto Neugebauer. It was published in 1957. Let's see what he says. The fundamental problem, this is on page 106. You can look this up. The fundamental problem of the Babylonian lunar theory is determined by the calendar. So far as we know, the Babylonian calendar was at all periods truly lunar. That is to say, the month began with the evening when the new crescent was for the first time again visible shortly after sunset. Consequently, the Babylonian day also begins in the evening and the first of a month is the day of the first visibility. So, what does that tell you? That tells you that Babylon was very much oriented around the night and the moon and the day was counted from evening to evening, not from the sunrise as the Egyptians counted it. But let's see other, Persia, or, uh, other, other pagan calendars and see what they believe. This is the Persian Zoroastrian calendar on Wikipedia. So the Persians came after Babylon. Just to remind you, a quick little sequence there. So you had Egypt, then you had Babylon, then you had Persia through Cyrus and other kings. Uh, then you had the Greeks through Alexander the Great, and then you had the Roman Empire. They had all these empires from, you know, what, 1400 BC all the way to Jesus's time. So let's read about the Zoroastrian calendar and see how they reckoned uh, the day. You have to kind of scroll down quite a bit here, all the way down to the end. Okay, I forgot to highlight, so I was like trying to find my spot. Uh, naming of the months and days. Wikipedia Zoroastrian calendar. Zoroastrian, Zoroastrian practice divides time into years, months, weeks, days, 
and watches. A day is reckoned to begin at dawn, as attested by chapter 25 of the 9th century work, the Bunda Hishin. Morning hours before dawn are assigned to the previous calendar day. Each day is divided into five watches. So, the Persians, who came after Babylon, reckoned time from morning to morning. The hours in the dawn are assigned to the previous calendar day, meaning until sunrise, the new day hasn't started. Now, that's very significant. And you'll see why in a second, because we're going to cover these other powers too. Let's go to Greece. This is the Athenian calendar. And let's see what it says. All Athenian calendars, however, used lunar cycles and or solar events, typically solstices and equinoxes, but also certain stars or constellations to affix dates. These calendars also ran roughly from midsummer to midsummer, while days ran from sunrise to sunrise. Hmm, interesting. So the Greeks also reckoned the day to begin with the sun. That's very interesting. Now let's look at the Roman Empire. This is very, very interesting. In Roman timekeeping, a day was divided into periods according to the available technology. Initially, the day, the day was divided into two parts, the antimeridium, before noon, and the post-meridium, afternoon, which, by the way, we are still in the Roman system. It's not some brilliant idea of timekeeping. It is just the Roman system. But let's move on. With the advent of the sundial in 263 B.C., the period of the natural day from sunrise to sunset was divided into 12 hours. Romans were very unique with their timekeeping. The civil day ran from midnight to midnight. The date of birth of children was given as this period. We are still in this system today, where we reckon the time from the darkest point of the night, where it doesn't necessarily make sense because ultimately... God gave you a timepiece. He gave you two timepieces, the sun and the moon. And one of them is for the day, one of them is for the night. But nonetheless, the natural day, the natural day, dies naturalis, ran from sunrise to sunset. So they had a lot more complicated timekeeping. And the reason I want to show you this primarily is because we still live in this system. We still live in the Roman system because the power that came out of Rome is just a neo-pagan power, which is the papacy. We are still under the Roman power, but it's not the Roman, you know, the pagan Roman Empire. It's the counterfeit Christian power that came out of the Roman Empire, which is the little horn, which Daniel warns about, that comes out of the fourth beast in Daniel 7, which is the Roman Empire. And that sequence of empires follows the same sequence that we see in Daniel 2, in the vision of the statue. And... Briefly, in Daniel 8, with the uh, the goat, the vision of the goat and the ram, and the little horn that comes out of there, too. So it, it all follows the same sequence of powers. History proves this sequence. So obviously, this sequence is what happened throughout these generations of time. Now, why is this all important? Well, it's very important because the Israelites were in Egypt for a very long time, and they reckoned time by the morning. They had to. Now, from Egypt to Babylon, where they were exiled and Babylon came after them, there was about a period of 900 years or so, give or take, because the Exodus happened around 1400 BC, give or take, and Babylon happened around 560 BC. 
So there was about 900 years, 800 years, you know, give or take maybe a generation or two. We're going to see other scriptural clues later on this, but this is very significant because that means assuming they continued that tradition of keeping time from sunrise to sunrise, then they would have been practicing sunrise to sunrise for 900 years, eight to 900 years before Babylonian invasion took place. That's very significant. Now we know that Babylon reckoned the day by sunset. And why that's significant is the Jews were there for, again, 70 years. They were told to set up shop and, you know, have families. That's where the synagogues and the rabbis and all these things started. And Judaism emerged. What's very important historically is that the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans we'll get back to, but the Persians and the Greeks, meaning the two empires that came after them for hundreds of years, reckoned just like Egypt. Meaning that the Jews who hold today to an evening reckoning, this is why I said I would prove it to you. I mean, it's pretty clear. Do you see the point? Do you see that Babylon is the only outlier out of all of these empires that conquered the Jews and dispersed them? Babylon is the only one that reckoned its, its uh, day from evening to evening. The, the Egyptians didn't do it, the Persians didn't do it, and the Greeks didn't do it. That means that if you are reckoning from evening to evening, it is very clear where you get that from. You don't get it from the Bible, because I'll show you in Scripture that that's not what the case is, especially right after the Exodus. We can have very clear evidence that God reckoned the day from the sunrise to the sunrise. So they didn't get it from Scripture. They didn't get it from the Egyptians. They didn't get it from the Persians. They didn't get it from the Greeks. They got it from Babylon. That's why when I say these things are Babylonian, I mean it because... History proves that this is the case. These things are very clear, but ultimately you have to, again, prefer truth over comfort and tradition. But nonetheless, now we get to the Romans and the Romans reckon their day from midnight to midnight, the civil day. They had the natural day. So they, they had a very complex timekeeping system. They also had two calendars, the eight day calendar, the 70 calendar. We'll get to that in a future episode. But the Roman system is still what we live in today. It's an inversion of the truth because the day doesn't begin at midnight. That's a completely created idea. That's not what nature would inspire you to do. When you look out and if you were, if you didn't have, to, if you didn't have a clock, you didn't have anything, you didn't have any concept of all these mental divisions of time and you just observe nature, what do you observe? You observe the sun rising and the sun setting. You observe light coming into the world and darkness coming in. And there's a cycle of that. And it seems that that's a rhythmical cycle. <clears throat> light, then dark, then light, then dark. Well, everything seems to start with the light. So that's probably the beginning. That makes sense. I wake up, I feel stronger. I'm ready for action in the morning. And at night I get tired and I'm ready to wind down. Well, that makes sense that the day, the sunrise would start the day. That's the natural interpretation of just simply observing nature. When you say that the day starts at midnight, which is what we do today because we're under the Roman power, that has nothing to do with anything. It's an inversion of the truth. But Israelites would have had no reason to shift from daylight, from reckoning daylight, to sunset reckoning. They would have had no reason to do so as you'll soon see, because the Israelites also reckoned day to uh, by sunrise. 
according to the scriptures, because that's how God reckons it. Very, very important. The period of time between the Exodus and Babylon is actually greater than the period of time from Babylon to Jesus by 400 years. There's only about 500 years or so from the Babylonian captivity to the birth of Jesus and walking. So, you know, total, let's say when Jesus was walking and doing his ministry, he was 30. Babylonian captivity was around 560 BC. So 600 years, meaning there was 300 year greater period of time that the Israelites after the Exodus lived and did their thing and reckoned according to what they learned in Egypt. But of course, they learned that from God because God reckons the day from sunrise to sunrise. But Egypt also did. So again, there's no reason for them to switch before Babylon. Do you see the point? There's no reason for them, like where would be the reason for them to switch suddenly? It has to be in scripture and it's not in scripture. So where do you get this idea that the, the Jews and the Israelites reckoned the day from sunset to sunset? It's not historically valid. Babylon's the one that stands out. If the Persians and Greeks, here's here's another thing to think about. If the Persians and Greeks also reckon the day from sunset to sunset, then a case could be made when we see this uninterrupted sequence of calendars, right? Of course, every empire has its own calendar, but if if the Persians reckon from sunset and, you know, the, the Greeks reckon from sunset, and you see this tradition, and the Egyptians reckon from sunset, then you see this tradition of, well, okay, they probably got it from there. Even so, it wouldn't make a difference because we have to consult the word of God. What does God say? These pagan empires have their own way of doing things. What does the word of God say? But even so, even if, it, even if there was that tradition, you could say, well, okay, then they probably got it from all those pagan empires because everybody did that. But that's not the case. The only one that did that was Babylon. You see the point? It all started in Babylon. Wasn't the Egyptians, wasn't the Greeks, wasn't the Persians. And of course, by the time the Romans came, these things were already set in stone because they had centuries and centuries of doing this, doing things this way through their rabbinic traditions by the point, by the time that Jesus walked the earth. So sunset to sunset reckoning is an aversion of the truth. It honestly requires con constant cognitive dissonance. It really does. It's constant cognitive dissonance that you have to live in because you are going against the natural flow of reality and trying to just tell you, just like it is with our current Roman system, where the day begins at midnight. That makes absolutely no sense. I schedule my content to start at midnight because whatever, it's based on the day, but it makes no sense for the, for the darkest hour of the, of the period of time we call a day to be the beginning. That makes no sense. It really doesn't. And also it ignores history and a lot of common sense. So now <clears throat> I want to break down some verses. We're going to look at history, but the history of scripture and how basically the Israelites came out of the Exodus and even before that. So first I want to start with a little bit of context, which is that the word day, when you say, when you see the word day is used for the period of daytime and also like a civil or calendar day in the Bible. It can be either or. I'll give you an example where there's both meanings that are used. This is in Esther chapter four, verses 15 through 16. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold the fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. 
I and my young women will also fast as you do, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So, in one sentence, we see the usage, the double meaning of this word day, meaning three days, night, or day. She's talking about three calendar days here, which also, by the way, is going to come important later when we talk about what day was Jesus crucified. We're going to come back to this example with Esther and her fast because the Jews counted inclusively, meaning even if it was part of a day, that was considered a day. So this is, it's again, it's different context and different ways that re- people reckon time. We don't reckon time like this anymore. We don't talk like that. So when you say that, you know, three days and three nights in the tomb, it doesn't mean what you think it means with your modern lens looking back, you know, 2,000 years. But anyway, night or day, three days. The word day is used in meaning both the daylight hours and also the full day. Now, that's very important because the question is, how do you know which is which? Well, the answer is context. This is why it's so important to read in context. What is the context? And that's going to be very important for today. Now, with that said, let's go to Genesis. We're going to start with Genesis, and we're going to start with the creation narrative because there's some interesting things I want to show you with a little graph that I made, but first we're going to go to the scriptures. Genesis 1, verse 5, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Boy, does this verse trip more people up than I have ever seen. In this particular conversation of the Sabbath, do people love to quote these verses from Genesis? See, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. That means that that evening is how the the day begins, right? Wrong. That's not at all how this is to be interpreted. And I can prove it to you, but a couple things I want to mention off the bat is when it says and, and is a linking word. And is a linking word that ties whatever happens here, and there was evening and there was morning, okay? A sequence of events, evening and morning. That's true. That's not changing, meaning whatever's being listed here in this second sentence is evening and morning. That's an order of things that happen. The question is, here is the million-dollar question. When everybody cites to you this verse and says, see, it starts at evening, the question is, how do you interpret the order? Are you saying God called the light day and darkness he called night? Okay, he's doing creative stuff, activities. And when you say, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, are you going back to the beginning of the day and saying, see, there was evening and there was morning? Or are you saying God created stuff, he's doing creative things, and there was evening Then the morning came, and that ended the previous day. Do you see the difference? I'm going to show you visually on this because I think it's going to help quite a bit. certainly helps me to see these on a visual timeline because this can be very confusing for some reason. A lot of people get tripped up with this, and it's, it's not supposed to be confusing. This is a statement of continuation. It is not a statement of recapitulation. Now, if you don't know what that means, if you've never heard that word, it's basically... Recapitulation means, and this is actually a literary device that is used throughout the, the scriptures. It's not, it's not that it's not being used. The question is, is it being used here? Recapitulation is, 
the author will give you something, will give you a text, and then the next line, at some point, he'll go back to the beginning and say it in a different way or from a different perspective. That's true. That happens throughout the scriptures. But the question is, is this a recapitulation? When it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, is, is this recapitulating the whole day and saying it started at evening? Or is this continuing the narrative, the chronological narrative of God created things, there was evening, then the morning came, then the day was over. Because the morning simultaneously begins the next day and ends the previous day. Does that make sense? The evening reading makes no sense chronologically because Genesis 1 is a chronology. Boy, there's a lot to talk about this as well. With the whole first earth age, two creation stories, one of the things that somehow is tied to this as well is this idea of a first earth age, which I have debunked in another video. I'll, I'll put a link to it. You can look at it on my, on my um, yeah, just go to like, my archive and just search in first earth age or actually go to the debunked tag because I put it under debunked. But ultimately it's, it's this idea that first earth age, two creations, three earth ages, there, there's all different words for it. But one of the things that people like to argue these days, which is very poorly argued, it really is, but it, for some reason it's catching on because people don't read context is this idea of two creation narratives, meaning they look at Genesis one and they see, you know, all this chronological stuff. Then they go to Genesis 2, where it talks about more of a narrative kind of form and talks about the creation of man. And they say, see, these are two creations. And some people go into very, very dangerous territory and teach that, well, actually, there were actually other human beings and the fallen angels created those human beings and God created them, the real human beings on day two. All these things are so easily debunked. They really are. If you believe this stuff, I invite you to watch my video. If you know anybody that does, send them that video. Go to my debunk section on my website. Look for First Earth Age because you're going to see it there. But here's the point. Genesis, one of the ways to debunk it is very easy. Genesis 1 is a chronology. When you go to Genesis 1, you, for example, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Gives you a narrative, Genesis 1, 5, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Then it says, and again, and then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Then God did this. Then he did that. Then it was good. Okay, great. That appeared. Then that was the next day. And so on. it's just literally going line by line by line, bird's eye view of creation. Then Genesis 2 focuses on day six when man was created because that's a special event. We're made in the image of God. People like to say that those are two creation narratives. Now, that's a really big problem for many reasons. One of them is that these are two different styles of writing, in the sense that, not in the sense that they were written by two different people, meaning one of them is chronological, one of them is a narrative. All ancient Near East, this is without exception, all ancient Near East cosmologies, or stories of the origin or creation, have in them, to be a story of creation, have in them certain things that you see everywhere in the ancient Near East. Stories of how the sun and the moon came into being, how the stars came into being, how the heavens came into being. There are certain qualifiers that need to exist in a story for it to be 
considered a creation story. Now, the problem with the two creations narrative is that the Genesis 1 gives you that, but Genesis 2 has no mention of anything. No stars, no moon, no sun. It's, it's not about any of that stuff because it's a recapitulation. Do you see the point? It's a change of narrative. And if you don't understand what's going on and you don't have good Bible interpretation principles, you're going to build all sorts of crazy ideas, man. But anyway, the point is that a good example of recapitulation is Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Genesis 1 lists off chronologically, boom, 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 here's what happened. Genesis 2 is a recapitulation. It goes back to day 6, but then gives you a different view, a closer view, an intimate view of creation. That's a recapitulation. That's an example of recapitulation. But the recapitulation is not happening when we go to Genesis 5, 1-5, and it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And the way you know that is two reasons. First, there's an and that links these two sentences together, meaning this is coming after what just happened in the first sentence. That's the first clue. The second clue is that all of Genesis 1 is line-by-line line chronology. There's no recapitulation in any of these statements. It is, this is what happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. So with these two clues, it's very clear that we can read this as, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. Great, he was doing things. And then there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Why? Because morning is what begins the next day and ends the previous one. That's why. Now let's look at these graphs that I that I made that'll hopefully help you. Um, hopefully help you out. So this is the right way to understand it. Okay, and if if you are listening to this, then check out the video for this. Uh, I will um, maybe put these in the resources for the Sabbath series on the actual page of my website. You can have a little download because I think this is a very important topic and you can have a visual guide to, to show you what is right and what is wrong. So I'll put it there so you can download it. I'll put these images there. On the website, Bible study section, go to the Sabbath and you can find it. Now, Here's the right way to do it. You have day, here's the day, day one and day two. Sunrise comes, evening comes, sunrise comes. That's the end of the day and beginning of the next one. If you read Genesis 1 just naturally and normally, what do you read? You read that God was doing stuff. It lists off what God did on that particular day. Then it says, and then there was evening. So the evening came. And then the morning came the next day. That was day, in this case, day two. So creation, and there was evening, then the morning came, the, the first day. See how that works? It's all linear and makes complete sense. But how people think it is, is this way. And again, I'll put these on the website if you're listening, so you can see a visual understanding of this. They, they, they read Genesis 1-5 and all the other verses as creation activities, and then there was evening and morning as a recapitulation of the whole day, where evening began the day, the sun rose, and that's it. That was the that was the first day. Do you see the difference between these two? Let's see if I can go back to the other one. Here's creation, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Makes sense. Very simple. 
creation activities. You have to assume that the that the evening was the first one, is the beginning of the day. You have to assume that. So creation activities throughout the day, and then this sentence, and there was evening and morning, is recapitulating the whole day for you, saying, and there was evening and there was morning. That doesn't make any sense, because you're going back to when God was creating and saying, yeah, that was evening. But that's not what it's telling you. It's telling you that God was creating. Let's go back to the other one, just so we're not confused here. It's telling you that God was creating creation activities. Then there was evening, and there was evening afterward, i.e., and there was morning. What? Where was morning? It was morning was after evening. Do you see the point? And morning, and, you have another linking word, and means coming afterward. And there was evening, and there was morning, and morning the first day. Meaning morning came after evening, because it's linked with and. That means, here we go, you ready? That the and before evening is connected to the creation activities, meaning it came after the creation activities, if you're actually interpreting this in context. And there was evening, meaning after the creation stuff, there was evening, likely God was working in the morning, but who knows? There's other things later in the scripture that kind of indicate that, that was the case. And there was evening, and morning came the first day. The evening reading is not chronological. It breaks grammar specifically the usage of and, because the usage of and here is being used as a chronological tool. Even within the sentence, and there was evening, and there was morning. You have to be consistent. If you believe, now look, here's another thing to, to consider. In fact, let's go, let's go back to this graph so you can see this and make, make a visual point out of this. The sentence, the second sentence, or the final sentence is, and there was evening, and there was morning. Okay, so one thing, if we just looked at that sentence alone, without any other context, just this sentence alone, we would understand what? We would understand there's a chronology that's happening. What's coming first? Evening, absolutely. Evening is coming first in this sequence of things, and there was morning, meaning evening was first, and then there was morning. That's true. The question is, how are you applying this order? Because if you're consistent and you believe that the morning comes after evening in this statement, why do you believe that? Well, because it says, and there was morning. Okay, great. If that's the grammatical clue that you're using to say that the morning is coming after evening, which is correct, then you have to be consistent and be applying that same grammar to the previous context. Do you see, do you see the grave error here that the evening people are making? If, if, and there was morning means the morning was coming after evening, which is true, then, and there was evening means that that evening was coming after the creation activities, meaning God was creating in the morning. Do you the point? <laughs> Back to the graph. He was creating in the morning, and there was evening, and there was morning. Two consistently chronological timestamps. The morning is what ended the next day. But, that's very important. It doesn't make sense if you read it the other way. It's also inconsistent with, with time reporting and, and time reckoning, as you'll soon see as we look at some of these other scriptures. I know we had to spend a little time on this first one in Genesis because it's such a it's such a misinterpreted verse. It really is. But again, if you're consistent with grammar, and as you'll see later with later revelations, uh, if you are consistent with 
seeing how people reckoned the day from sunrise to sunrise, to see how God reckoned the day from sunrise to sunrise, then it's very even more clear when you go back to Genesis and say, yeah, that that is saying God created in the morning and there was evening and the morning came and that was the end of the day. That's how the day was reckoned. So you got to be consistent. Now, another little point on Genesis before we move on. Actually, there's another verse in Genesis I want to talk about. But another point on Genesis is that in the original language, this is for the people who believe in the first earth age, that the days are a thousand years, or if you believe in Christian evolution, or if you're an evolutionist, you believe that's these things are metaphorical. One of the things that is important to understand is that in the original language, this verse, when it says the first day, it uses the word echad, meaning one day. In in context, this means one day, a single day. It doesn't mean a thousand years. Okay, so anyway, that's just a little point for the people who believe that you are seeing a metaphorical period of time when God created the earth. God created the earth in literally six days. He rested on the seventh, and that's a very important point. And the Sabbath is actually a great way to refute these people that believe in the first earth age and all these other things I talked about. But now, Genesis 1, verse 16. God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night, the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God made two great lights for clocks and for timekeeping. The question is, why would the lesser light begin the day? The day equals life. It's when you start your uh, cortisol awakening response, if you know what that is. Basically, it's your your drive in the morning to wake up and have focus and energy. It's when metabolism revs up. It's when plants open to the sun to, to be assimilating energy, to grow. All the life begins with the sun. It doesn't begin with the moon. Now, sure, there are nocturnal creatures but the moon is the lesser light, according to God. She is the lesser light. The moon is the lesser light. Now, why is that important? Because the great, God is making a distinction between two lights. Now, there's obvious distinction. The sun is, you know, more light, so it's obvious. But God himself said that the sun is the greater light. That's a very important distinction because it doesn't make sense that God would begin the day with the lesser light of the two lights. That's something to consider. Now, let's look at the Exodus. There's a lot to talk about with the Exodus. All of the plagues in the Exodus give us a very interesting revelation and set of clues as to how God reckons time. And I mentioned before that the Sabbath also plays a part in judgment, which is very interesting. But now, now, Not all of the plagues in Exodus are time-stamped in the sense that they have time clues. Some of them just say like, okay, this happened and, you know, the Egyptians basically suffered these plagues. So we're going to look at the ones that do have time-stamps because actually there's several of them. Now, the first plague says right off the bat in the morning, Exodus 7 verse 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. So in the morning, that's when the first plague is going to start. Why? Because God reckons the day with the morning. Very important. You'll see how all this ties together. 
Now, very interestingly, later in Exodus 7, after this first plague, it says, seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. Again, very, very interesting. If you remember kind of the Sabbath through history episode where we talked about there, like with Noah and the ark and how there were timestamps of seven, seven days, seven days. This is before Mount Sinai. This is actually even before um, the manna in the wilderness where God imprinted that seven-day period for the, for the Jews or the Israelites actually to pick up manna and to rest on the seventh day. Even in the Exodus, we see these hints and clues that the seven-day time period is still in and force and still something that God holds to. Of course he does because he doesn't change. He established it at creation. It was a gift for man. That's not changing. And this is proof of that fact. But the question is, was, was this judgment on a Sabbath? I think it was likely on a Sabbath. It's very interesting because we see things like Jericho. Remember Noah's Ark? We talked about that quite a bit. Um, you know, so these, these seven-day patterns where it seems that the judgment is happening on the Sabbath. Very interesting, but it's not super obvious. Nonetheless, the point is the seven. God kept that seven. Why does the Bible mention to you that seven days passed after this first judgment? Because the seven-day timekeeping was still in effect. The Egyptians may not have kept that time, but God kept it, and God expected it, and he was imprinting that process slowly, slowly back into the Israelites because they had forgotten. They were in Egypt for a very long time. Now, very interesting, kind of just another point on judgment, being in the morning, Genesis 19, verse 23, God destroys Sodom. This is after Lot escapes. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Does it say the moon had risen on the earth? No, the sun had risen on the earth because God counts the day with the morning. As soon as the morning came, all right, it's time to get down to business. And you'll see that as a consistent theme. Now back to Exodus, let's go to the second plague. Some of these are not obvious. Exodus 8 verses 9 through 10, Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people, that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. And he said, tomorrow, Moses said, be it as you say, as you as, so that you know, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. So tomorrow is when the frogs will go away. This is not obvious, but there's a time marker. Tomorrow. How do they? How are they measuring tomorrow? Is the question. Well, we know from Egyptian uh, archaeology that the the Egyptians measured the day by the sunrise. See why this is important? They measured it by the dawn. So when Pharaoh says tomorrow. And Moses says, okay, great. That means that that is in alignment with the sunrise, not the sunset. Moses wouldn't have said, no, no, the day begins at nighttime with the lesser light. It's going to come at night. Just, just you watch. No, he said, okay, tomorrow. Because we are in agreement on how to reckon time. Moses was in agreement with Pharaoh on, okay, tomorrow begins with the sun. We'll see you tomorrow. Again, it's not obvious, but if you compare with history, it's very clear what's going on. Fourth plague, another timestamp, Exodus 8, verse 22 through 23. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. Now, God is speaking. 
So this is a very important point. In the previous one, Pharaoh was speaking. So you could say, okay, well, maybe there was just an Egyptian thing going on. But now God is speaking and saying tomorrow. But it's not clear here. The time isn't clear as to how they were reckoning, how God was reckoning tomorrow. Of course, it's clear in other places, but we're going to see. Now we're going to go to the fifth plague, which also says tomorrow, Exodus 9, verses 5 through 6. And the Lord set a time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So God set a time for this particular plague, and that time was based on tomorrow. Verse 6 says, and the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but no one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. Now, this is a very interesting point, and we're going to come back to it. But the idea that, okay, so the livestock died and people were burying their livestock and and basically doing work in the day. So that means when did the judgment actually happen? It happened in the morning. You can infer that very easily. Exodus 9, verse 13, same thing. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. The Lord said to Moses, Rise up when? Early in the evening? No such thing. Rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh. Now, later in this same chapter in verse 18, uh, God says, "Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause every, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as has never been seen in Egypt from the day it was founded until now." So again, tomorrow, it's not clear how God is reckoning tomorrow. We'll see shortly. All these things will make sense. But He said to Moses, "Rise up early in the morning." So that's significant. That is very significant. Eighth plague, Exodus ten, twelve. Uh, Exodus 10, verses 12 through 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts, so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, and all that on all that the hail has left. So Moses stretched out his hand over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind from upon the land all the day and all that night. So now we're talking about the, the part of the day that's sunrise and the part of the day that's nighttime. When it was morning... What happened when it was morning? The east wind had brought the locusts. Do you see the point? The point is that when it was morning, the plague of the locusts came. The judgment came upon Egypt with this particular plague. In when? The evening? No, the morning. Just like with Sodom, just like with asking Moses to get up early in the morning to go talk to Pharaoh multiple times, it's all in the morning. Now, in, ver- in chapter 11, we see the final plague, which is basically the, the end of the, the, the death of the firstborn, which relates to the, the plague with the cattle and livestock dying, which is I was saying people were burying their dead. Watch how this all makes sense. 11, chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out to the midst of Egypt. <gasps> there you go, proof, you see? Forget all those other things. The day begins it evening. That's proof, right? No, it's not. And you'll see why. In fact, it's actually proof of sunrise reckoning, and you'll see why. So Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out to the midst of Egypt, 
And every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. So this is when Passover happened. Now, the question is this, did God suddenly change his method of doing things? Up until now, you've seen very clearly, and we're going to get even more clear, that the morning is when it was happening. Morning is when the frogs, uh, when the blood of the, the bloody Nile happened to go to Pharaoh in the morning, talk to him. Uh, the locusts happened in the morning. God instructed Moses to go to Pharaoh in the morning for other things. It was all by the morning. The Egyptians reckoned time by the dawn and the sunrise. And Pharaoh agreed, that, okay, tomorrow come to me and talk to me. So they were reckoning day, day from sunrise to sunrise. And so is God. All of this points to the morning. Now, the question is, suddenly now with the last plague and the Passover happening, where he says, I'm going to come at midnight, which what happened at midnight? Well, if you weren't covered by the blood, you would die. So midnight is death. That's why we shouldn't start our day with midnight. But anyway, that's another point. Midnight is when the reaper came to basically take everybody, the firstborn. Now, why is that significant? Did God suddenly change his method of reckoning? No, obviously not. It's significant because the Hebrews left that day when the sunrise came for the Exodus. This is the thing. They ate the Passover. They left that morning, meaning God was timing it perfectly. He came at midnight, destroy all the firstborn, totally demoralized Pharaoh. Pharaoh finally lets the Hebrews go. And beginning with sunrise, beginning with the first day, or I should say when the sun, sunrise comes up, the day begins, that's when the exodus starts. So it was all timed perfectly. That's why the reaper, the destroyer, came at midnight. It had a very particular purpose because the day was reckoned from morning to morning. Do you see the constant theme here? I mean, it's very important. Now, we know in, later in Exodus 12 that he lets them go. Pharaoh rose up in the night. He, had, he and all servants and the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. This is now in middle of the night. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night. The, he's, the Bible is telling you by night for a reason. Because this is unusual. People didn't do things at night. They did things in the day. Whether you were pagan, Egyptian, or whether you were Israelite. Everything was done during the day because the day was reckoned from day to day. So when it says, then he summoned Moses by night, it's telling you that on purpose. Because if you didn't see that, you say, well, what, like summon in the morning when the day begins? No, it's summoning by night because this is an unusual situation. And he said, up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. Now, in Numbers, we see an important detail that harkens back to this event of the Exodus. Numbers 33, verse 3 through 4. They set out from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month, i.e. sunrise. Right after all those events at night happened, they ate their Passover, they got all their stuff, they plundered the Egyptians of all their jewels, and then they left right with the sun, with the dawn. On the day after Passover, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. Now, what's going on here? There's a lot of time clues. First off, it says on the 15th day of the month. 
on the day after the Passover. When was Passover celebrated? It was celebrated at night. When the destroyer passed over the Israelites. That's when Passover was celebrated. So on the day, when is, when is the day after Passover? It's that exact sunrise that came up to us. It would be that day, but for them, it wasn't the day yet. Passover was the previous day. It was at nighttime. Then the day came up, and that's when the Exodus started. They didn't wait a whole full day after Pharaoh got all his people destroyed. Pharaoh called Aaron at night, said, get out of here. When the sun rises, that was the 15th. That was the next day. Now, the people, the people of Israel went out triumphantly in the sight of the Egyptians while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn. So this is an important time marker. Because if the day began at evening, which it doesn't, that's nonsense, why would they be burying their firstborn in the evening? You see the point? When the Israelites left Egypt, it was with the dawn, with the sunrise. While the Egyptians were using that day to basically bury all their firstborn during the day. Do you see the point? All these things add up and it's consistent. Same thing with the cattle. Now we go back to the the plague with the cattle. I forget which plague it was, probably the second or fourth plague or something. But when the cattle was destroyed for the first time, the livestock, was that during the evening or was it during the day? It was during the day because people were burying those animals during the day. They were trying to catch up from all the judgments that were happening upon them. So the conclusion from all this is that the first, the seventh, and the eighth plagues, which we looked at, reveal the truth. God reckons the day from the morning. All judgments that say tomorrow were according to the morning. So Moses was meeting with Pharaoh likely in the morning, uh, sometimes in the morning when God instructed him to, but also there are other times what I mean is there are other times when Moses, like the plague happens and then Moses is like, hey, you going to let us go or what? When he goes and meets with Pharaoh <clears throat> and he has these discussions, they're happening in the afternoon or evening towards the end of the day after judgments has happened. The judgment happened throughout the day. Then Moses goes and say, hey, you ready to do this or what? That was in the evening, the afternoon and evening. Pharaoh says, no, buzz off. Okay, well, guess what? Tomorrow's another one. When is tomorrow? The sunrise. Then the plagues come. The locusts came in the morning with the sun. The locusts ate everything. Moses came back in the evening, said, hey, man, you going to let us go or what? Do you see the pattern? It's very straightforward, very chronological. But if you want to impose an evening-to-evening reckoning, that is nowhere in this text. There's no reason to believe that evening was how the day was reckoned. It's nonsense. It really is. But let's continue with Passover. Passover is also a clue as to how the day was reckoned. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. This is Exodus 12, verse 10. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. Why? Because the Passover, the days reckoned from morning to morning. That's why. God is saying, when the next day comes, burn it. Do not leave any of it till the morning. If any of it remains, then you shall burn it. Why morning? Because morning is when the day begins. It's the next day already. Which also proves that the Israelites left in the morning after the Passover in Egypt, the first Passover. They left in the morning, meaning they left with that first day, like it says in Numbers. The day is reckoned from the morning. See how all of this adds up just so nice and neat? It's, It's so nice to build a case for what you believe and not 
believe in nonsense and fairy tales. Now let's keep going through Exodus. This is collecting manna. We've talked about this before, but we didn't look at it from the perspective of the morning and evening reckoning. Remember that this is, by the way, first context is, remember that this is three months before Sinai, the whole collecting manna episode. He said to them, this is Exodus 16, verse 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest. Okay, tomorrow. How are we measuring tomorrow? A holy Sabbath to the Lord. Which, by the way, again, remember, this is three months before Sinai. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept until the evening. Nope, the morning. The morning. Keep it until the morning. Why? Because tomorrow is measured by the morning. Do you see the point? Do you see the constant, continuous, consistent theme, which is that the day is reckoned from the morning? What about the golden calf? Let's look at that. Exodus 32, verses 5 through 6. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. Now, he's saying tomorrow. Let's see, how are they reckoning tomorrow? This is an important clue. Whenever you see tomorrow, the question is, is there any other timestamp within the surrounding context that gives us a clue as to how they reckon tomorrow? Well, let's see, right? The next verse, verse six. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Well, I'll tell you one thing. We're going to look at this later in today's episode. There is no such today in our world we have sayings like early in the evening, but that does not exist in the ancient world. There is no such concept in the ancient world. In fact, I don't think in the Bible anywhere, not that I've searched, is such a thing as early in the evening. Because early in the evening, the evening is considered the end of the day. There's no such thing as early in the evening. Well, what do you mean early in the evening? You got to go to bed. There's no sunlight out. People don't have 24-7, you know, Circle Ks like... They go with the loony solar timekeeping. So there's no such thing as early in the evening. In fact, you will see the opposite in the New Testament. They'll say that the, the day is far spent. We're going to look at a, a verse in Luke. So that when it says early the next day, it's talking about the morning, sunrise, early. Because why? Because the day starts with the sun, meaning to wake up early means to wake up early in the day because the day is just beginning. Do you see the point? But later in Exodus, same thing. Moses breaks the tablets. Exodus 34, same thing with the morning. Verses 1 through 2. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready by the morning, and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai, and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. If God reckoned the day from evening to evening, God is very systematic, very intentional. If he reckoned it from evening to evening, we should expect to see, at least at some point in all of this narrative that I've showed you with the Exodus, that the evening was reckoned as when things should begin. But instead, you see the opposite. You see that God reckons consistently from the morning. The Egyptians reckoned it from the morning. The plagues happened in the morning. Everybody was reckoning from the morning. Very important. So, conclusion. Well, the Exodus provides proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that both, in fact, the Egyptians, the Israelites, and God all reckoned from morning to morning, from sunrise to sunrise, not sunset. 
which again goes back to our history lesson, which is if that's the case and the Israelites observed those traditions and continued that for 900 years before Babylon, where would they have gotten this evening to evening reckoning? The answer is Babylon. Now let's look at the Old Testament sacrifices in Leviticus. There's, they're not always time-stamped, but the peace offering is time-stamped. And we read in Leviticus 7, verses 15 through 16, And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. On the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. Why? Because the morning is when the day was reckoned. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice. On the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. Well, how do you know what the next day is? God just told you in the previous verse, he shall not leave any of it until the morning. Why? Because the morning is what distinguishes the day. So in Leviticus, this is consistent what we see in Exodus. This is continuing to reckon from the morning. Very important. Now, there are sacrifices throughout the Old Testament in different ways and different reckonings. Some of them had to be disposed or consumed of by the morning. Some of them had, some of the Sabbaths, we'll talk about this in just a second with the Sabbaths, Sabbaths, plural, were reckoned from evening to evening. So you really have to read context. But they were, sacrifices often had to be either disposed of by the morning or consumed by the morning. Because the sun, the, the day is reckoned from sunrise to sunrise. Now, this whole thing with Sabbaths and the Sabbath, I've talked about this before in some of the previous episodes, where people confuse these two, and this is part of the confusion to all of this. Because there is some instruction that reckons time from evening to evening, but it's specific to things like the Day of Atonement, which is a Sabbath, not the Sabbath, but a Sabbath rest, meaning a holiday where the Jew, the Israelites were told to rest. So you have Sabbaths, as in holidays and feast days, but you have the Sabbath. They're two different things. And if you don't understand the difference between these two things, you're very likely to read something on the Day of Atonement, which we'll read in just a second, and think that it's talking about the Sabbath and use that to, to create a whole false theology around it. So for example... Leviticus 23, verse 32. It shall be to you a Sabbath. What shall be a, to you a Sabbath? Is God giving the seventh-day Sabbath here? No. Talking about the Day of Atonement. And you shall afflict yourselves on the ninth day of the month, <clears throat> beginning at evening. From evening to evening shall you keep your Sabbath. See proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Sabbath is kept from evening to evening. Wrong. It's not talking about the weekly Sabbath. And it's not even showing you how God reckons the day. It's telling you that for this specific day, which is the Day of Atonement, it shall be a Sabbath to you, meaning you're going to rest, you're going to afflict yourselves, meaning you're going to fast, and you're going to count this particular period of time from evening to evening. You have to consider that all of the evidence that points to morning reckoning, for God to change that, it would have to be a huge deal. There'd have to be a lot of context. But there isn't. There's only these straggler places that talk about specific holidays and their specific ways of being observed. Exodus 12, verse 17 through 18, with the unleavened bread. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. 
In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. This is an evening reckoned holiday or a feast. It's not reckoning time. God is not saying I'm changing my way of reckoning the time of the universe through this verse. He's not saying that. He's also not saying that the Sabbath is being reckoned from evening to evening. He's saying that this particular holiday, this Sabbath of the unleavened, this feast of the unleavened bread, is to be reckoned from evening to evening, just like the Day of Atonement. So the point is that some of these Sabbaths began in the evening, like the Day of Atonement. Others began according to a new day at sunrise. Some of them ended at the evening of the next day. Some of them ended at sunrise. It's really, I mean, there's a lot of them. There's quite a lot. And there's even new moon festivals, which we'll talk about that a little bit too. This is from uh, encyclopedia.com, New Moon Feast Hebrew. And it says, in ancient, in ancient Israel, the first day of each month, i.e. the day after the new moon was sighted, was a feast day with ordinances similar to those of the Sabbath, which it is linked in several passages, i.e. 2 Kings 4 verse 23 is an example. It has not been demonstrated, however, that the two were in fact originally connected. For all the people who believe that the Sabbath is reckoned from evening to evening, you have to learn these things. The monthly feast is not mentioned in the festival calendars of the Pentateuch, but in Numbers 28, verses 11 through 15, the, fe- the sacrifices for it are prescribed in detail. The antiquity of the feast is clear, however, from allusions in the prophets and a new moon dinner at the royal court requiring ritual purity and participation, which is described in 1 Samuel 20, verses 5 through 29. Like the Sabbath, it was a day of rest from work. So this is, again, going back now to the previous episode where we talked about should Christians celebrate the Sabbath, where, you know, you have the string of words, new moons, feasts, and Sabbaths. New moons, feasts, and Sabbaths. Well, people think that the word Sabbaths in that string of words means the weekly Sabbath. It doesn't. All of these things are feasts. They're specific holidays. God is not doing away with the Sabbath when he says, I'm going to put an end to her new moons, her feasts, and her Sabbaths. It's not saying I'm going to put an end to what I established in my, in my moral code. That's nonsense. He's talking about festivals and feasts and, and all these various feasts. So the point is this. There were a lot of various feast days that were considered Sabbaths, plural. There's always a Sabbath and the Sabbath. When it says the Sabbath, it refers to the weekly Sabbath in context, usually. Usually, most of the time. So the conclusion from all this is what? People mix up Sabbaths and the Sabbath. And because they don't read in context, they go to these verses and they say, see, evening to evening reckoning must be the way God reckons the, the, the entire day, which is not true. This is, the, this is the reason, this taking things out of context is the reason why people believe the day starts at sunset. It has no basis in reality. It's based on misinterpreting various verses and taking them out of context. Like we saw with Genesis and breaking the grammar rules, in the, in the style of chronological writing, not reading in context, like we see with the various feasts, like the unleavened bread and Leviticus, taking those things out of context and appropriating them to the weekly Sabbath. This is the reason. This is also, by the way, the reason why people believe, Christians, that we don't have to celebrate the Sabbath anymore. 
because they see the Sabbath as part of this feast system, the, the Levitical religion. New moons, feasts, and Sabbath. See, it's done away with. So both are wrong. Do you see the point? The Bible says neither to the right nor to the left. Neither towards legalism with this whole evening thing, which is actually, it's legalism, but it's, it's just not even correct legalism at that sense. It's not based on anything. It's not right. But then you also have liberalism. Both of them are for the exact same reason, because people do not read in context. So my goal for you is that you read in context and you neither swerve toward the right nor to the left. Or if you're looking at me, to the right or to the left, because on camera it's inversed. Now, let's look at cultural attitudes in the Bible. This is also very important because this is setting up the context to look back at some of those previous verses, like Exodus, like Numbers, like Genesis even, to see what was really intended. 2 Kings 7, verses 8 through 9. These are some um, Syrian, basically lepers are raiding the Syrians' camp. The Syrians went off. They're kind of searching the camp and looking for some goodies, and they discover some stuff. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. Okay, we're talking about a physical day, calendar day. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Why are they waiting until the morning light? Because, or I should say, why are they saying, let's not wait until the morning light? Because the morning light is when the next day comes. And then it would have been a sin. Hey, you found all this treasure and you didn't tell the king? You waited until the next day? Then that's it. Off with your head, bro. But if you came in the evening, say, listen, we were working all day. We found this treasure. Don't kill us. Like, okay, it's forgivable. Like, you're, it's still within the same day. You didn't wait a day. Do you see the point that this is making? The cultural altitudes. Now, this was around 850 BC, approximately. And how do we know? It's because this is about Elisha. Elisha was... Uh, Elisha promises the flood. This is during Elisha's time. And Elisha lived around 850 BC, give or take, meaning that the Hebrews were still reckoning, the Israelites were still reckoning from morning to morning. Do you see the historical significance? After the Exodus, which was around 1400 BC, this is Elisha's period, 850 BC, like five, 600 years later, they were still reckoning morning to morning. So that proves that it's consistently throughout time, except until they went to Babylon and they picked up the Babylonian tradition, which people still believe in today, even Christians, which is so sad. Psalm 104, verse 22 to 23. When the sun rises, they steal away and lie in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. What's the cultural attitude? The cultural attitude is that the sun rises and man does his work during the day, not during the evening. Why would you begin the day with evening when everybody's not doing work, sleeping, resting, unconscious, in their houses? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It really doesn't. Abandon your cognitive dissonance and tradition and go for the truth because this is, this is really silly to believe that the day begins with sunset. Now, 
in Ephesians in the New Testament, this attitude is still consistent. Be angry and do not sin. This is Ephesians 4, verse 26 through 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Why is this idiom or cultural understanding being spoken of here? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? If the sun isn't the beginning of the day, then what does it matter? Like, if the day begins in the evening, what does it matter if you let the sun go down on your anger? The point is, the day is coming to an end. The day is coming to an end because the evening's starting. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because it's not good to be angry with the day. Like, if you get angry in the morning, great. Apologize, forgive, let it go and rest in the evening so that you can start a new day the next day. Very important. Again, phrases like early in the day, these are cultural attitudes, early, you know, early in whatever, or just saying early, these things always related to the morning. Today we say early in the evening, but again, early in the evening means nothing to somebody living 2,000, 2,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, because they didn't have timekeeping that began at midnight. To where you would say, oh, it's early in the evening. What, what does that even mean? That means nothing to an ancient person. So that means that every time you see early or early in the day, you are talking about the beginning of the day, which is the morning. And a couple examples are as follows. This is the New Testament now. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Early on the first day of the week. Early dawn. There's no such thing as early evening or early afternoon. We say these things in the modern day, but people did not reckon time that way. Early is early, meaning in the beginning of the day, which was at sunrise. Now, later in Luke 24, we see this expression that I was wanting to tell you, that the day is far spent. This is verse 28 to 29 where they meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went to stay with them. Now, they, did they say it is early evening? No, they said it is toward evening. I mean, the evening's coming and what? And the day is now far spent. Now you have two choices of how to interpret this. The first choice is, if you want to stick to your sunset to sunset reckoning, is, well, they're just saying, you know, the, the daylight is far spent, which absolutely makes no sense. Why would they be stating the obvious? Come, stay with us because the daylight is far spent, meaning the day is, far, so what? Who cares if the daylight is far spent? If you're beginning the day with the sunset, then that means the day is beginning. So do you see the confusion? come stay with us. The, the day is beginning soon because the sun, the sun portion of the day is over. So the day is beginning because the evening's coming. That doesn't make any sense. What makes sense is, hey, come stay with us. The day is far spent. It's, it's evening. Come on, stay the night. Leave the next day, i.e. when the sun rises. Do you see the point? All these things are so obvious if you're just reading it plainly. But if you've been bewitched by this Babylonian sunset to sunset reckoning, then you, you will tr you will spin this into very confusing territory. 
Now, Jesus affirmed these attitudes as well. John 9, 4, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Now, of course, Jesus, he is, he's speaking here of spiritual things. He's not speaking of agriculture or making some matter-of-fact statement on labor. He's speaking of spiritual things, of his ministry. But nonetheless, what does that mean? Jesus is a worker. God is a worker. When do you work? You work during the day. Remember our creation pictures, our graphs? Let's look, let's look at them really quick. Creation activities. God is doing stuff. And there was evening. No work, very likely. And the morning came. The next day began. And the previous day was counted as over. So this is very, very consistent. John 11, verses 9 through 10, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Again, spiritual things. But they work because he's playing off of cultural attitudes. You walk during the day. You do stuff during the day. Why would you begin the day and reckon the day with the time of the day that you're resting and not doing anything? You begin the day when you begin the day, when you walk, when you work, when you get outside, when you do stuff. Makes complete sense. Jesus is talking, obviously, about spiritual things, but again, he's playing off of cultural attitudes in order for that to get across, that message to get across, which also shows us that he reckons the day from daylight to daylight, like everybody else did by his time. God is 100% consistent, so we can count on what we see here Now go back to Genesis, and that's even more evidence of the chronological reading, not the recapitulation reading, which is the sunset to sunset reckoning. Now there's also the issue with the crucifixion. We're going to talk about this in a future episode. I have a whole episode dedicated to this because it does factor into this conversation on the Sabbath. But Jesus died on the sixth day. He rested on the seventh. He died around 3 p.m., give or take. Sunset at that time of the year in Jerusalem is around 6 p.m., meaning that you have approximately three hours for the evening to arrive. This is very significant for people who believe that evening to evening is the reckoning of the day. Because in Luke 23, we see the timeline of these events. Jesus is buried Verses 50 through 56. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. That's timestamp number one. Then he took it down, timestamp number two, and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb and cut in a stone where no one had ever been laid. Timestamp number three. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. We're going to get into this in a future episode. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Next timestamp. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. Final timestamp. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. Now, you have to ask yourself a very plain question. Which is, we're gonna, like I said, we're going to really do a deep dive on this in a future episode. But you have to ask yourself, in three hours, if the day was reckoned from evening to evening, 
And the Sabbath began at 6 p.m. approximately. They had three hours for Joseph to go and ask for his body from Pilate, take it down from the cross, wrap it in a linen shroud. Do you know how how much effort that is to do that, to, to wrap a body up? Like, that takes hours. Then the women had to come with him to the tomb to check out the body, to, to see how it's laid, how everything's good. Then they went to go prepare spices. All of that has to happen in three hours? It's impossible. It is literally impossible, especially considering the distances they had to walk, which we'll cover in a future episode. But the point is that if this is the case, they would have broken the Sabbath. So the Sabbath is not reckoned from evening to evening. The day is not reckoned from evening to evening. The time, the chronology of the events listed in the crucifixion in Luke prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt. You only have three hours. Now, there's one objection I want to cover, which is brought up from Nehemiah, and it has to do with him closing the gates at sundown, which people love to bring this objection up, but it's a good study to see flawed interpretation principles, to see what happens when you do not use context. So let's read it. This is Nehemiah 13, verse 19. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. And I stationed some of my servants at the gates and no load that no load may be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now, if you read just this verse, I will admit, I will admit that if you just read this verse and you didn't read anything in the Bible at all, if, if you didn't know anything about anything and somebody just showed you this verse, and this was the first verse that you ever read in the Bible. And they, after reading this verse, they asked you, what do you think? Did, did the Jews reckon the day from evening to evening or sun, sunrise to sunrise? Well, seems like they reckoned it from evening to evening. It seems that way. Again, if you've never read any other verse in your life. So this is the problem, because it seems that way. But remember a couple of things. Literary, cultural context, the context of all the scriptures that we've looked at so far, from Genesis to the Exodus to all the historical things that we looked at. Remember the cultural attitudes that we looked at, that we just looked at from the Old Testament to the New Testament, with the lepers in the Syrian camp, all the way to Jesus' time. The, the reckoning was done during the day. Remember the crucifixion timeline, how it's impossible for them to have achieved all those things in three hours. Remember that God counted sunrise as the start of the day with all the judgments that he did. Remember that there's no such thing as early in the evening or early in the afternoon. We, they don't say those things. Early was always attached to the morning. So with all of that context now, let's add some more context to Nehemiah by reading the previous verses. And first things first is that Nehemiah was one of the people that were doing the reforms. In fact, this chapter is called Nehemiah's Final Reforms. There were reforms being done. This is after the Persians allowed them to go back and start rebuilding. And people, again, were they were constantly drifting between apostasy and faith. So people like Nehemiah were doing reforms, saying, listen, we need to get back to obeying the Lord. Well, what's part of obeying the Lord? It's obeying the fourth commandment on resting. But let's read the previous verses to this to see if it makes any more sense. This is 15 through 18 in chapter 13. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. Notice it says the Sabbath, not a Sabbath, but the Sabbath, meaning we're talking about the weekly Sabbath now. 
and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So people were bearing a burden and selling and doing things that they shouldn't do on the the Sabbath day, meaning the seventh day. And I warned them on the day when they sold food. Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. So there's some really very bad things happening. Very, very bad things happening. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? We're not talking about the Day of Atonement Sabbath. We're not talking about the other Sabbaths the new moons or feast days or anything. We're talking about the Sabbath day. Very important because the translators capitalize both the Sabbath day and if you noticed, like with the day of atonement, they capitalize Sabbath there as well, which they shouldn't have because this the capital Sabbath is the Sabbath day. But moving on, verse 18, did not your fathers act in this way and did not your did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on the city, now you are bringing more wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So, what's going on here? What is what is putting this all into context? There are reforms being done. Nehemiah, because he's faithful, he sees that they're profaning the Sabbath day. I.e., they're working, they're bringing loads, they're doing all this mercantile stuff. And he's warning them, like, hey, we're going to get judged again, you idiots. Do you want to, like, endure another captivity? What's wrong with you? And so what what does Nehemiah do? What is the problem, first off? The problem is people are selling and buying and bringing and doing all this mercantile activity. That's the problem. What's the solution? Well, now we read verse 19. As soon as it began to grow dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded the doors should be shut and gave orders that they should not be opened until after the Sabbath. So what is actually happening here is that Nehemiah is waiting... As soon as it gets dark, because that's when people stop working, not when the day is over, but when people stop working, they're not going to be trading at midnight. We, they, don't, they don't have 24-7 Walmarts in ancient Israel. They are working during the day, and as soon as the sun goes down, that's it. Like, okay, work is over. So Nehemiah is waiting for the sun to go down so that people can get their work done on the sixth day. That's legal. That's fine. But as soon as that sun goes down, we're going to close the gates, so that when the sun comes up, ain't nobody coming in and working on the Sabbath. Do you see the point? It's not telling you that the day is being reckoned from evening to evening. It's not telling you that the Sabbath is being reckoned from evening to evening. The context is there are people working on the Sabbath. So the smartest, best timing of when to cut this off would be on the sixth day, the day before the Sabbath, which is what it tells you, Right when up to the final moment, when they can stop working. They stop working when the sun goes down. Okay, close the gates so that it's closed on the Sabbath. Do you see the point? But do you also see that the problem that people read this out of context and say, oh, you see, it runs from the evening to evening. No, it doesn't. This is completely out of context. You're avoiding basically the whole meaning of what this is saying. Nehemiah was avoiding people working on the Sabbath by closing the gate. He's not going to instruct them, hey, go close the gate when the, when the day starts in the morning. 
because that's working on the Sabbath. Now, of course, that would be a need in a some sense, like it's a necessary thing. So in some sense, it might have been excusable. I don't know. Because there are, like when Jesus has these debates with the Pharisees, he says, you know, which one of you doesn't let their ox out on the Sabbath to have water? So there are necessary things that need to be done. But Nehemiah is being extra precautious. He's not going to wait until the morning to shut the gates. He's going to shut them at the last, at the I should say, at the first possible opportunity, which is right after people stop working, which is when the evening comes because they're not working anymore. Okay, close the gates. That's it. Until after the Sabbath, meaning when the next day comes in the morning on the first day, that's when the, that's when the gates can be opened. Very, very interesting because again, you wouldn't open the gates on the evening of the Sabbath because you're still on the Sabbath. You're working. Do you see the point? The gates were closed on the evening before the Sabbath because that's when people stopped working so that that way when the Sabbath came, sunrise, people would come and say, oh, it's closed. No working. Sorry. And then they would be opened again on the next sunrise because you're not going to open them in the evening of the Sabbath because you're working. Hopefully that makes sense. But this was a preventative measure. It wasn't, it's not teaching you that the Sabbath is being reckoned from evening to evening. It's obvious we're talking about the actual weekly Sabbath. And it's obvious that this was a preventative measure. So my friends, final thoughts, conclusion. Well, I hope that you have realized that the day begins at sunrise, not at sunset. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 5 says, For you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not the night or of the darkness. Obviously, this is talking about spiritual things, but it's using physical realities. We are not children of the the darkness to count our days beginning with the dark, to do the opposite of what God has said. That is an inversion of the truth. Remember that Satan does everything that God does opposite. He inverts everything that God does. Everyone in the Bible up until the New Testament consistently reckoned the day according to the sunrise. That should be clear by the end of this episode. Israel was exposed to night reckoning or evening reckoning in Babylon. All the other occupations it had, except the Romans, Romans kind of had their own complex system, but most of the other occupations from Egypt, Persia, Greek, Greece, they all reckon from sunrise, meaning that the outlier is the one that proves where this tradition is from. It's from Babylon. Now, the question is, do you want to align with Babylon or do you want to align with the word of God? Babylon is the clear source for the nighttime reckoning, and that's because rabbinic Judaism began in Babylon. If you know your history, I cover that in my series and in also my documentary, Why the Jews Are Not God's Chosen People. Check it out. You might learn something. Now, some festivals, like the Day of Atonement, were in the evening reckoned, but people confuse the word Sabbaths with the Sabbath. Part of that is translation error because those things are capitalized and they shouldn't be. But nonetheless, you have to read context. The Day of Atonement is not the weekly Sabbath. So that's number one. Number two is these things were part of the sacrificial system. The weekly Sabbath is part of the moral code. So Christians who believe that it's done away with, you are not reading in context. You really aren't. The Sabbath was never done away with, man. As you can see clearly, Jericho from the Exodus, the manna, the Noah's Ark, seven-day pattern has been consistently upheld by God. That means, well, how do you know? How do you know 
why it's a seven-day pattern? Because of the Sabbath. Sabbath is what makes the seven-day pattern. There aren't just seven arbitrary days that God made Moses wait before talking to Pharaoh again after the first plague. There aren't just seven days that God told Noah, in seven days I'm going to flood the earth. Oh, just seven arbitrary days. No. There's a, the reason there's seven days is because there's one of those days that you rest in relation to the other six. This is the connection. The seven days is intimately tied to the Sabbath. That means that God kept that system through time, regardless of the fact that it was forgotten. That's why when he commanded it, he said, remember. The only command that he said, remember. Remember the Sabbath day, because it would be forgotten. Christians who celebrate the evening to evening are aligning with Babylonian Judaism. They're not aligning with the word of God. I hate to say it because all those people are very, trying to be very mindful of scripture, but you're not being mindful enough. You're not reading in context. You have to see that this is the truth. The Babylonian traditions are in complete contradiction to the word of God. Complete contradiction. So don't do it. It's not biblical. It's not true. And it's not what God intended because the day begins at sunrise. (laughs) 